Bibles with me this evening to uh, 1 Kings chapter 13. 1 Kings chapter 13. Do be in prayer for Pastor as he's trying to get healed up. And uh, also, Brother Don's in. He called me this afternoon and uh, just to remind me that he would be watching. <clears throat> and uh, Brother Terry, he said he didn't think that uh, reprisals was quite the right word to use on that. Uh, so he did remind me that he'd be watching. We do, we do pray for for them for healing and and many others that are that are having trouble with uh, uh, sickness and stuff. There's a lot of people, a lot of that going around. <clears throat> First Kings chapter 13 tonight. Uh, Forgetting your Bibles there, I found out just a few minutes ago while we're getting kind of getting set up that. Uh, I don't wear this jacket very often, and uh, I found out a few minutes ago that the pocket, somebody had done sewed the pocket shut on this thing. Y'all are laughing because you know that's probably the way they're supposed to be, is that right? Well, they ain't no more. My wife took a pocket knife to them right before church because I said, we're going to have pockets. I need to drop stuff in them every now and then. Ain't no sense in sewing them things shut. That's wrong. I believe that's sinful. Pockets need to be used. So I got got my pocket where I could put my glasses in there is what I was needing to be doing. That's, so that's that's where we was going with that. I had to find my glasses. <clears throat> the Bible says in 1 Kings chapter 13, And behold, there came a man of God out of Judah by the word of the Lord unto Bethel, unto Jeroboam. And Jeroboam stood by the altar to burn incense. And he cried against the altar in the word of the Lord and said, O altar, altar, thus saith the Lord, behold, a child shall be born in the house of David, Josiah by name, and upon thee shall he offer the priests of the high places that burn incense upon thee, and men's bones shall be burnt upon thee. And he gave a sign the same day, saying, This is the sign which the Lord has spoken. Behold, the altar shall be rent, and the ashes that are upon it shall be poured out. And it came to pass, when King Jeroboam heard the saying of the man of God, which had cried against the altar in Bethel, that he put forth his hand from the altar, saying, Lay hold on him. And his hand, which he put forth against him, dried up, so that he could not pull it in again to him. The altar also was rent, and the ashes poured out from the altar, according to the sign which the man of God had given by the word of the Lord. And the king answered and said unto the man of God, Entreat now the face of the Lord thy God, and pray for me that my hand be restored me again. And the man of God besought the Lord, and the king's hand was restored him again, and became as it was before. And the king said unto the man of God, Come home with me and refresh thyself, and I will give thee a reward. And the man of God said unto the king, If thou wilt give me to half thine house, I will not go up with thee, neither will I eat bread nor drink water in this place. For so it was charged me by the word of the Lord, saying, Eat no bread, nor drink water, nor turn again by the same way which thou camest, that thou camest. So he went another way, and returned not by the way that he came to Bethel. Now <clears throat> there dwelt an old prophet in Bethel, and his, and his sons had told him all the works that the man of God had done that day in Bethel, the words which he had spoken unto the king, 
Then they also told unto their father. And their father said unto them, What way went he? For his sons had seen what way the man of God went, which came from Judah. And he said unto his sons, Saddle me the ass. So they saddled him the ass, and he rode thereon, and went after the man of God, and found him sitting under an oak. And he said unto him, Art thou the man of God that camest from Judah? And he said, I am. Then he said unto him, Come home with me, and eat bread. And he said, I may not return with thee, nor go in with thee, neither will I eat bread, nor drink water with thee in this place. For it was said to me by the word of the Lord, Thou shalt eat no bread, nor drink water there, <clears throat> nor turn thee again to go by the way that thou camest. And he said unto him, I am a prophet also, as thou art. And an angel spake unto me by the word of the Lord, saying, Bring him back to thee in thine house, that he may eat bread and drink water. But he lied unto him. So he went back with him, and he did eat bread in his house, and he drank water. And it came to pass, as they sat at the table, that the word of the Lord came unto the prophet that brought him back. And he cried unto the man of God, and said from, Ju from Judah, saying, Thus saith the Lord, For as much as thou hast disobeyed the mouth of the Lord, and hast not kept the commandment which the Lord thy God commanded thee, but camest back, and hast eaten bread, and drank water in this place, of the Lord, which the Lord did say unto thee, Eat no bread, and drink no water. Thy carcass shall not come into the sepulchre of thy fathers. And it came to pass, after they had eaten bread, and after he had drank, he saddled for him the ass, to wit, <clears throat> for the prophet whom he had brought back. And when he was gone, a lion met him by the way, and slew him, and the carcass was cast in the way, and the ass stood by it, and the lion stood by the carcass. And behold, the man passed by, and, and men passed by, and saw the carcass cast in the way, and the lion standing by the carcass. And they came and told him the city where the old prophet dwelt. And when the prophet that had brought him back from the way heard thereof, he said, This is the man of God. It said, It is the man of God who was disobedient unto the word of the Lord. Therefore the Lord hath delivered him unto the lion, which hath torn him and slain him according to the word of the Lord, which he spake unto him. And he spake unto his son, saying, Saddle me the ass. And they saddled him, and he went and found his carcass and cast him away. And they asked, and the lion standing by the carcass, and the lion had not eaten the carcass, nor torn the ass. And the prophet took up the carcass of the man of God, laid it upon the ass, and brought it back. And the old prophet came to the city to mourn and to bury him. And he laid his carcass in his own grave, and they mourned over him, saying, Alas, my brother. And it came to pass, after he had buried him, that he spoke to his son, saying, When I am dead, then bury me in the sepulcher, wherein the man of God is buried. Lay my bones beside his bones, for the saying which he cried by the word of the Lord against the altar in Bethel, and against the house of the high places, which are in the city of Samaria, shall surely come to pass. After this thing, Jeroboam returned not from his evil way, but made again the lowest of the people priests of the high places. Whosoever would, he consecrated him, and he became one of the priests of the high places. And this thing became sin unto the house of Jeroboam, <clears throat> even to cut it off and to destroy it from off the face of the earth. Let's pray this evening. 
Lord God, I just ask that you'll be with us this evening. Lord, I pray that you'll bless this message. God, we need your presence and your power here tonight. Lord, without you, I am nothing, Lord. And God, I have nothing to give to these people, Lord. Lord God, I pray that you'll come and that you'll meet with us. God, I pray that you'll anoint my lips. God, give me the words to say. Help me to preach quickly and clearly and with understanding. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> so we see here in this account in 1 Kings this uh, <clears throat> this prophecy that this man of God had came and he, he prophesied against the against this altar and against the people what they were doing they uh, Jeroboam had set up if you read in the previous chapter in chapter 12 he had set up two golden calves and he had set one of them here in Bethel the other in Dan because he didn't want the people to go to Jerusalem to be sacrificing to God to worship God because he was afraid that he would lose his congregation basically he said if they go to Jerusalem then they're going to start serving God and then they're going to become uh, Rehoboam's people and they're, they're going to kill me. So he set up and he said, I've got this plan. We're going we're gonna to set up and we're going to have us a, a homemade church service. We're going we're gonna to get some things going here and I'm going to put up this calf over here and then we got this other one over at Dan. Y'all people don't need to travel nowhere. It's going to be great. You can be closer to home and you can have your services here. You can worship. You can sacrifice and we'll even have some feasts and we're going to have a good time. It's going to be a good deal. And he done it basically because he was afraid that the people would leave him, that they would kill him, and that they would end up going back and serving God if they went to Jerusalem to worship there. So this man of God had come. God sent him to Bethel to prophesy against this altar. And we read the account there how he prophesied against the altar, how Jeroboam's hand as he reached out had, had dried up. And then he asked God, I mean, he knew enough that, hey, God done this. Your God is powerful enough that you done this and that, that he's the only way that this is going to be saved, that my hand's going to be restored unto me is if you entreat the Lord and ask the God, that your God to, to restore my hand. And the Bible says that the prophet did and his hand was restored and there was mighty signs shown. The altar had broke down and it was split there and all these different things. But then he went on his way. And as he went on his way, he, 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 was, he, he was resolved to do God's will. I mean, he had seen God move mightily. He seen God restore a man's hand. He came in. He did not have any fear of the king, which was the king as he went in to prophesy against that. The king was fully prepared to have him killed. He wanted him to be taken hold of. He said, take hold of him. He was going to destroy him. He said, we're not going to have that. And he went in there with no fear of man, trusting completely and fully what God had told him to do. Seen mighty things happen. Seen God's power. He's seen God work mightily in his life. And then he's trusting God to the God had told him not to even go back in the same way that he went, but to leave town a whole different road. You came in this way, just keep right on going out. Don't even backtrack. Don't even back up. You just keep right on moving. Don't stop. Don't take a break. Don't eat. Don't drink. You do my work and then you get out of there. Let me pass judgment on them. Kick the dust off your feet. Just keep moving. But we see at some point, the prophet, he, had, he sat down under the oak tree. He decided he was going to have to take a break. Maybe it was hot. 
Maybe it was in the middle of the heat of the day. And he said, well, the shade looks good. My feet's tired. I traveled all night to get here. I'm physically exhausted from doing God's will. It's took it out of me. I just need to take a little set. He sat down under the oak tree to take a break to rest himself. The Bible says the old prophet came. His sons pointed him in the right direction. He saddled the ass. He caught up with him. And he said, come back with me. Let me feed you. Let me minister unto you. Let me help you. No, we can't do that. God has told me not to even back up, not to eat, not to drink, not to even turn the way that I've came, but to move on out. But he lied to him. And he said, there was an angel that told me. And I need to, I would, I would like for you to come back with me. So he did. He turned back. We see also that, in, that this <coughs> man of God, not only was he tired and he was hungry and he was thirsty, but he was just a man, just like we are. Why did he turn back? I wonder, so many times I've read this story several times over and over, and I think, why did he turn back? God had plainly spoken to him. Even though the old prophet in the Bible says he lied to him, this man of God had heard the voice of God. He knew God's voice. He knew what, he knew what God had told him to do. And this was just a man. Even though he lied to him, I think a lot of times we, we're looking for a way out. We're looking for a, for a shortcut. or we're, we're just thinking, you know what, God, I've, I've worked for you. I've done your service and I've done good. And, and, and I think I've accomplished everything here that you wanted me to accomplish. I prophesied against the altar. I didn't, eat, didn't stop. I didn't eat with them. I didn't drink with them. I moved out of town. I've completed the mission that you've sent me on. And maybe this was God's way of ministering to me, bringing me some, some peace help to, to minister to my flesh because I'm hungry, I'm thirsty, I'm tired. And maybe he just bought it. I think he wanted to hear it. A lot of times we hear what we want to hear. <clears throat> Whatever the purpose or the intentions of the old prophet, certainly I don't think he had any ill intentions towards the man of God. You know, I think the old prophet that had went out to meet him, maybe he wanted some fellowship. I mean, the whole nation, the whole country is worshiping a calf. They're sacrificing to, uh, to idols. Maybe this man of God, this old prophet, that he's, he's just needing some fellowship. He heard of another man of God that came in and had a backbone and stood up to the king and prophesied. And he said, that's somebody that I can have some fellowship with. Maybe that's somebody that could help me in my ministry. Maybe the both of us together, if we was both here together and working and doing the Lord's work, Maybe we can change this thing and we can turn this country around. 
And I don't think that the man of God, the old prophet, that he had any ill intentions for him. He went after him. He wanted to minister to him. He, he wanted to, to feed him, to give him drink, give him rest. But he just thought, if I could just get him to come back. First he asked him, and then he said, no, I can't do that. God has told me not to. The man of God, the old prophet, becoming desperate, made up a lie. I'm also a prophet, knowing that God has spoken to him many times, I'm sure, and said, I've heard from an angel. He was careful not to make it a big lie. He didn't say God told me. He said an angel told me. They just wanted to make it just a little bit, make it believable. But it didn't have to be very much to convince this man of God. Because the state that he was in, from being weary, from being tired and hungry. So the man of God, the old prophet, he comes back with him. <clears throat> they go back to the house. And then we read that the, as they're sitting there and they're eating and they're drinking, then the word of the Lord does come to the old prophet. And basically tells the man of God that your days have been numbered, buddy. Yeah. Your days are up. <clears throat> I wonder why Sometimes we change direction. Sometimes we, uh, we ask, God has given us a direct direction in our lives. God has given us His Word Amen. to follow. He's given us His Spirit to dwell in us. But so many times we change direction. We see that this man of God from Judea, he changed direction. He went from saying to the king that it was charged me by the Lord, saying that I eat no bread, nor drink no water, nor turn again the same way that thou comest. He went out another way, told the same thing to the man of God, but ultimately he went back with him. And he'd eat bread in his house, and the Bible says drank water. What caused this man of God, I wonder, to change direction? Was it because he was weary? Was it because he was tired, he was hungry, he was thirsty? What was to be the thing that caused him to turn? Disobey the commandments of God. Even though he knew the word of the Lord, he was able to justify his turning back by the thought that the old prophet was a man of God as well and had heard from an angel. I think he wanted to believe it. I think his flesh, he was wanting to provide for his flesh as we do so many times. You know, Galatians chapter 1 and verse number 8 says, But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you, <clears throat> then that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. Amen. The old prophet, 
we see also had changed some ways. He had a change in direction as well. In 1 Kings there in 13 and verse number 18, the Bible tells that he told him that I'm a prophet as well. And he told him that an angel had talked to him and he lied to him. But then we see in verses 26 through 32, when he had heard what had, fallen, had befallen the man of God, he went to him. He was concerned at this point. He went to him, the Bible says. He brought him home. He put him on the ass and he brought him home. The Bible tells us that he, he mourned for him. And then he placed him in his own grave and, he, and told his sons, when I die, bury me right next to him. Put us side by side. The man of God had went from lying to a fellow preacher. He went from making up stories to now he's got this deep regret and this deep concern. He had a change of direction. And now then he's brought him back and he's, he's buried him in his own grave and tells his sons to place me right next to him. Put our bones together. And then in, in, in verse number 30, it said he's laid his carcass in his own grave and he mourned over him saying, Alas, my brother. Alas, my brother. I want to preach a message this evening entitled, Alas, my brother. If we think about that phrase, it's a sentiment of deep regret, of concern, of disappointment, hurt. This old prophet, I believe, not only mourned over the disobedience of the man of God, but also I believe this old prophet mourned over the lie that he told. Yeah that he pointed this man of God in the wrong direction. That he caused, he might have played just a little part in this man of God's downfall by lying to him, by bringing him back. And we see a change in direction. Just as the man of God reasoned with himself to change directions and to turn and go back with the old prophet, we change our definitions. We redefine things. We change directions constantly. Things to match our own desires and our own flesh, our own lifestyles. We say, well, things are different now than they was back in the time of God. Things are different now than when this old Bible was written. We have a different life. We have different problems. We have different things that we have to face up to. I think God understands me. This is a fluid thing. The Bible tells us that God never changes. We can see changes in definitions. A man of God is not defined the same as a man of God used to be in the Bible. There's a lot of people that step up behind a piece of wood or a pulpit or maybe they just get out on a stage and they say, I'm a man of God. I've brought God's message. The message today is not the same as the message that God's given. The man of God is not the same as the man of God that God has ordained to preach His Word. The man of God has come up. 
He's picking up a Bible that's not even God's Word. It's a translation. It's got poison in it. It's not even the truth. And these things have changed. We redefine sin. We redefine everything that we come across. Church house has changed, not even in physical appearance, but it's no longer a place of reverence for the Lord, but a social place, a club, of, a place of entertainment where we come to be <coughs> to hear a story or to get some inspiration instead of hearing from the Lord. You know, a lot of times when we come to church, it's not to be inspired. It's not to be have a, a motivational speech. When God speaks to you, God is going to lay out the truth. He's not pulling any punches. Amen. When the Lord talks to you about your sin, it's a serious business. Amen. The man of God no longer stands up and talks about sin, but shortcomings. The church house, you can't even recognize as a church house anymore. Many times you drive by and you see this building and the names on the church houses. What is that? It's not a place of God. Is that somewhere we're going to go on Saturday night? Are we going to go listen to some music? Are we going to go get some drinks there? What is this place? They resemble a bar more than anything. The services... The preaching, the worship, you're hard-pressed to hear any hymns of the faith or biblical-based songs, praising His name, anything that would bring Him honor or glory. It's been replaced by something that better suits our lifestyle. I heard a man say here a while back at a church, certain church that he went to, he said, you know, the music that they play right there, he said, it's just like the stuff that I used to listen to. That's my kind of music. <laughs> I said, yeah, that's not God's music. Amen. You said it straight up. That's your kind of music. Amen. What is it that you're supposed to be doing with that if it's not praising God? So we see the changes in the church. We see the changes in the man of God in the, in the services, the culture. <clears throat> the culture that was brought about by movements of the church to fit in with the world around it. The culture, not only in the church house, but the culture in our communities, in our land, in our nation, have been brought about by the changes that we've seen in the pulpits, in the congregations. Just like in 1 Kings chapter 12, where I told you about Jeroboam, he was afraid to lose his congregation. So he brought in another kind of service. The Bible says he brought in those calves and he said, let's worship them and let's sacrifice to them. He brought in some false gods and some idols. And he said, this is your salvation. The Bible says that it became a sin for the people went to worship before one even unto Dan to those calves. It says that they made them some high places. Made priests the lowest of the people. Ordained feast. Offered upon the altars. 
And all this was going on. This is when the man of God comes in onto the scene. Chapter 13. But then even at the end of all that, in verse 33 of chapter 13, as we read, after all these things, Jeroboam returned not from his evil way, but made again of the lowest of the people the priests of the high places. Whosoever would, he consecrated him and became one of the priests of the high places. They changed their culture. Instead of serving and worshiping a God that had, that had brought them out of Egypt, that had brought them through the wilderness, that had given them a land, had been with them in battle, has shown himself mighty over and over again. They changed their culture. They changed their worship service. They changed their men of God. Then they had to redefine sin. That's where we move to whenever these things progress like that. Then you have to start, the next thing you have to do is you've got to start redefining sin. Because you still got a Bible, you still got God's Word, you still have a conscience, you still have, you still have truth, but what are you going to do with it? So you have to redefine sin. You've got to change it. You've got to turn it into something else. It's like a, it's a shortcoming. It's not a sin. It's not, it's not something that God would send me to hell over. God understands that I'm just flesh, I'm just human. So you redefine it. You have to justify it. You think about it in your mind and you decide that, well, these are really bad things and, and these things are not quite so bad. Yeah. And God understands, yeah, I'll probably be punished for that. But not, not like if I would have killed somebody. <laughs> and we think in our mind, we build up these things in our mind that there's different levels of punishment, that, that there's different degrees of sin with God. The Bible calls sin, sin. I don't care if you robbed a bank or stole a pencil. You're a thief. In God's eyes, there's no difference. Now in my mind, it's my flesh, and I justify, I can say, well, it's just a pencil. It didn't really affect anybody. It didn't hurt anything. Most of the time, they give those away anyway. You know? That's what they're there for. So you can steal them. Now, usually when I go to somebody's place of business, if I am going to steal their pen, I tell them. <laughs> I'm stealing your pen. <laughs> if they want to do something about it, fine. Normally they say, oh, that's fine. So that's how I justify it. <laughs> but that's what we do. We redefine the sin. We have to make it something that it's not. The next thing, how do we redefine sin? Because we still got God's Word to contend with. Now we have to redefine God's Word. Yeah. We got to rewrite it. We got to come up with something different. And even if we don't rewrite it, we're going to take. We're still going to use God's word. We're going to have God's, uh, the King James Bible here, authorized version. But you know what? We we might want to do a little bit of rearranging. Yeah. Okay. Because then we <clears throat> then we say, well, you know, it's it's not only uh, it's not we are using God's word. It's it's but. You know, it's, it's infallible, and, but we start casting doubt upon little things like it's inerrancy. Well, there, you know, that might have been a mistake. You know, the people that translated this into English, they were just men. They might have messed up just in that one little spot. They probably could have used a better word here. Now, is God powerful enough to pre- preserve His word, or is He not? Yeah. So we have to redefine God's words. 
Psalms chapter 138 and verse number 2 says, I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness, for thy truth, for thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. In 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 20, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. All these things that have been accomplished in our nation today, we're currently experiencing as a judgment of Almighty God on our nation, on our land, based on our decisions to turn and change directions. These judgments that we see, these things that we see in our nation, in our land, that we see on the news, that we hear about all the time, it's not the fault of the world. I blame us because we have turned from God's direction. The man of God has turned from God's direction. He's still trying to accomplish God's purpose. But we get weary. We get thirsty. We get tired. We get hungry. And we're ready to believe a lie. We're ready to buy it. Oh, we still want to serve God. But we have turned. Change directions. Even so, God's mercy still abounds. Brother Danny preached this morning. By the way, Brother Danny, it's a good message. Good message on persecution. And we're not experiencing persecution like we could be. God's blessings is still on our country. We're still able to come and we're still able to meet here tonight without anybody coming in on us and hauling us off to jail or lining us up to shoot us. We still live in a free land. Praise the Lord. But I'm telling you, if you don't stand up and do something about it, we're right at the door. It's right at the door. Talking about our country. As our land, it's our fault as people, the people of God. I'm not preaching to the lost people tonight. Why is our constitution, why do they refine our, redefine our constitution in our country? Why are things being moved around? They call it a living document was intended to be changed and, and to be evolved as the times change. Hogwash. Amen. That's not true. Why are they monkeying with that stuff? Because there's an agenda, there's, there's a movement. They've got to change these things that God has driven, these truths from God's Word. <clears throat> Rewrite history. Redefine definitions. Words. Some people can't even define anymore what a woman is. Or what a man is. They say, well, that's Depends on the person, the individual. Mm. We'll move on. They remove absolutes. Redefining culture in our land. In an effort to wipe out any form of Christianity, to criminalize the gospel that brings out the guilt and the truth of God's word brings out guilt of sin. That's why these things have to be redefined. That's why these things have to be changed and altered. Change the laws, change the rules, change the culture. Why? Because God's word brings truth. The truth exposes guilt of sin and people don't like that. 
People want to live the way they want to live. And I'm not just talking about that old filthy world out there. <clears throat> Pressing the issues of diversity and inclusion for lifestyles. Trying to force upon everybody the acceptance of sin. Right. Yeah. Marriage can no longer be defined as one man and one woman for one lifetime. It's redefined to be whatever you want it to be. It doesn't even have to be. God's word is still true tonight, people. Judges chapter 17 and verse number 6 told us that every man did that which was right in his own eyes. And they said, who are you to say if it's wrong or not? They say that today. Who are you to say whether it's wrong? It's my life. Who are you to tell me that I'm sinning? Who are you to tell me that what I'm doing is wrong? I'm not. But there's a God Almighty. He's the creator. He has a right, every right, to tell you what's right and what's wrong. If we talk to people, we need to base what we say, our decisions, our thoughts, our motives need to be based on God's Word. Amen. Use God's Scripture. Use God's words. It's not my opinion. It's not what I feel. It's not what I think. My feelings bounce all over the place. My thoughts are really flighty sometimes. But God's Word is sure. It's true. Unchanging. I read a thing here a while back about cultures changing cultures. And this was actually uh, for changing a culture in a business setting. Not necessarily culture change is what we think as far as changing culture in, in communities or land. But, you know, changing the, the mindset of employees or whatever that may be to, to try to help people think in a different way or to make them more productive or whatever the case may be. And there was this thing that called, it was five steps to culture change. And I think it applies in whatever realm you're talking about. Pretty, pretty straightforward. Step number one, commit to change. Everything starts with, this is what it got me, everything starts with a desire. Commit to it and stick with it. So we see culture change in our country, in our land. Everything that is these agendas, these things that are being pushed and crammed down your throat that's being stuck on TV all the time or wherever it is. I don't watch TV, but whenever I go in, I see one. It's like nothing but filth pouring out of that thing. I can't believe some of the junk. I, I was in a place the other day and they had on a, a HGTV. It's supposed to be a, a building thing. It was in a place of business where they're uh, a construction business and they had this HGTV thing on. They were trying to do some kind of building project, something that interests me. That's what I do. You know, so I'm kind of sitting there looking at the thing. Next thing I know, there's two dudes kissing on this thing, and he just about made me want to puke. And I'm thinking, what in the world is going on? Here we've got a construction show, and they've got, they're cramming this stuff down your throat. It's everywhere you look. <clears throat> you have to start with a desire. And then you commit to it and stick with it. Step number two is define success. If you can define your ideal culture, you can achieve it. Step number three, assess the reality. The hardest part about change is the buy-in. 
Continue pushing the point. Focus on one issue at a time. Don't try to change everything at once, but one tiny issue at a time. And then step number five, reflect and learn. Re-implement successful processes and redirect other efforts that were not successful, but stay committed to the desired end. <clears throat> and I thought when I read this thing, how that can apply to what we're seeing in our lives today. The change that's being tried to push towards us, the change that people desire, it starts with that exactly, with a desire. When we change directions as Christians or whatever, if it's our talking about our culture, our communities, whatever it may be, our personal selves, our individual motives, whenever you change directions, it starts, number one, with a desire. Why did the man of God change directions, go back with the old prophet, and end up being killed by a lion? He had a desire. Not saying that that desire was wrong, that it was sinful. He's flesh. He needs rest. He needs food. He needs water. And he had a desire. But that desire caused him to change directions. He had a definition of what was right and what was wrong. He said, I've completed God's mission. I've done what God had me ask me to do. If you go all through that, and we think about these things in our own lives, we can see how we turn from God. You say, how in the world can I become, get to the point where I'm no longer trusting God like I used to? How have I strayed off the path? How have I moved from what God had me to do? It starts with a desire, number one. Then you redefine sin. And then you buy in. Nobody jumps out of the boat. It's usually just a little splash at a time. One little issue at a time. And then when you look at step number five, well, I've gone this far. Let's move on to the next one. And then the devil just starts feeding you that corn right on down to the slaughter pen. You move from one to the next. <clears throat> That's how change comes in our lives. Number three. Thank God that God never changes. Amen. God never changes. Malachi chapter three and verse number six says, For I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, you sons of Jacob are not consumed. James chapter 1 and verse 17. For every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither no shadow of turning. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse number 8. Jesus Christ is the same to yesterday and today and forever. Deuteronomy 7, 9. Know therefore that the Lord thy God, He is God, 
the faithful God, which keepeth covenant and mercy with them that love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 23. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 13. For if we believe not, yet he abideth faithful, he cannot deny himself. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering toward usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Psalms chapter 119, 160. Thy word is true from the beginning, and every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. Psalms 119, 89 and 90. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Thy faithfulness is unto all generations. Thou hast established the earth, and it abideth. Isaiah 54, 10. For the mountains shall depart, and the hills be removed, but my kindness shall not depart from thee. Neither shall the covenant of my peace be removed, saith the Lord, that hath mercy on thee. God never changes. In closing tonight, just as the old prophet mourned the loss of the man of God, we find that we mourn change in direction from our family, from our friends, from our acquaintances, in our communities, in our land. As we see changes in direction, as we see people starting to turn and depart from the faith or moving away from the old paths and to try to follow the paths that seem more well-traveled of the world, <clears throat> seeking rather to fulfill the desires of the flesh and not seemingly caring for eternity. We mourn those decisions. And we say, as the old prophet, alas, my brother, we tend to think only of what we know and what we can see and what we can feel and touch. We live only for today and for now. <clears throat> Sometimes putting away the thoughts of how short time is in the light of eternity or how fragile life is. Many times we think, well, I've got time. I'm young. I'll serve the Lord once I get to this point. I've said it before that many times young people have done the same thing as a teenager. I thought, you know what? When I get to be married, once I get out of school, maybe at that point, I'm going to be able to start serving the Lord. I want to, I want to give God my life. Things will be easier then for me to serve the Lord when I don't have these temptations that I have as a teenager. Maybe once I'm an adult, things will be easier. No. Well, now, let me tell you. Well, once maybe I've got kids, and maybe, you know, I, we're just getting married, me and my wife, and we're trying, to, we're trying to adjust to one another. And maybe once now that I've got children, maybe I'll be able to serve the Lord like He would have me to. I'll be able to follow God's will now that I have a family. I've got more responsibilities, and now I can do what God wants me to do. No. Well, guess what? Now that my kids are grown, and they're starting to move out of the house, and they're going to be going off and, and I'll have more time to focus on the ministry. I'll be able to do what God wants me to do because, you know, our children are grown now and I'm not having to deal with the issues and the pressures and the responsibilities of raising a family. No, guess what? Well, hey, 
Maybe once I start getting some grandkids, we'll have some grandkids, and, and at that point, then I'm going to become the Paul that is going to be somebody that can teach my grandchildren about the Lord. And, and I want to be somebody that they can look up to, and I want to be the one that can show them from the Bible. And just because now that I've got to be a grandpa, and now that I've got grandchildren, now maybe I can become more of what God wants me to do. No. I don't know what happens next. I guess I die. And then it's too late, you know. But time moves on a lot quicker than we think. Life is short and fragile. You know, I told you here a while, but just not too long ago that I preached the funeral of my cousin, 31, 31 years old. Didn't expect to get that call. Life is fragile. Life is short. In light of eternity, we see people moving away, changing directions, and thinking, I'll be able to serve God at some point in my life. I'll come back. I'll do what the Lord wants me to now. At this point, right now I have desires in my heart. Alas, my brother, this statement of sorrow, pity, concern, of sadness, regret, and disappointment that the old prophet uttered because the man of God changed his direction. <clears throat> Proverbs chapter 16 and verse number 9 says, A man's heart deviseth his way. But the Lord directeth his steps. In Genesis chapter 13, the Bible tells us about Abraham and Lot. And the Bible tells us that Lot pitched his tent towards Sodom. The Bible also tells us in Hebrews, or in Second Peter, I'm sorry, that Lot was a just man. The Bible says that he was <clears throat> righteous. But he turned. He changed directions. As Abraham went one way, he went the other and moved towards the world. Now the Bible doesn't tell us that Lot was a dirty, rotten sinner. Somebody that we could expect to be drawn to that type of a world, that type of a life. But that he was a just man. I fear for us. Yeah. As we be turned towards Sodom, drawn towards the world, change in direction. <clears throat> what would it take? tonight to make you change direction. Many times change comes with ever so slightly. How are we tonight? Are you sitting under the old oak tree trying to take a little rest? Have you wandered off the path? Maybe turned your head to reflect and look behind you just a little bit? 
You see desires and temptations that come upon us, being weak and hungry and thirsty. God knows your heart. He knows your flesh. And He knows your needs. Amen. Philippians 4.19 says, My God shall supply all your needs according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 10.13, There hath no temptation taken you, but such is a common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that which you are able. But with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. I think of that old song that we sing, that I've decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. What would cause you tonight to turn back, to change directions? <coughs> Lastly, tonight, I think about, and this probably hits me even harder than anything, what have we done to cause a change in the direction of others? Think about that tonight. I'll tell you again. What have we done to cause a change in the direction of others? And I'm not talking tonight about witnessing to people or asking people to love the Lord or turning people from the Word to Christ. I'm talking about what is my life, my testimony, my walk with the Lord? How has that affected other Christians? Have I pushed other Christians away from church? Have I pushed them away from their walk with the Lord? Maybe unintentionally. Just like the old prophet. I don't think he had no ill intentions for the man of God. The Bible says, but he lied to him. What have I done? to affect others' walk with the Lord. <clears throat> no matter what our intents, sometimes we take it upon ourselves to help direct others' walks, maybe the lives of those around us, without seeking God's will, and then we end up in a mess. I know I'm guilty of that. I'm pretty bad sometimes to give people my opinion. How are you having problems? You're struggling? Here's what I think you need to do. Instead of saying, here's what God says you need to do. What have I done to cause a change in direction of others? I try doing things in my flesh try to do in God's work, His work in my flesh. It never works out. Romans chapter 14 verse number 13 says, Let us not therefore judge one another anymore, but judge this rather, that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. 1 Corinthians 8 and 9, 8, 9 says, But take heed lest by any means this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to them that are weak. How many times have I been a stumbling block to some other Christian? Ezekiel chapter 3 and verse number 20. Again, when a righteous man doth turn from his righteousness and commit iniquity, 
and I lay a stumbling block before him, he shall die, because thou hast not given him warning. He shall die in his sin, and his righteousness which he hath done shall not be remembered. But his blood will I require at thine hand. When I think of this tonight, I can understand a little bit more the old prophet, how he mourned the death of the man of God. It wasn't just somebody, I mean, he'd only sat down with this man one time for just a minute to share a meal. He'd only heard of him that very day. But the Bible says that he mourned him deeply. I can understand the sorrow, the regret, and the disappointment that he felt. And why he cried, Alas, my brother, when I think of myself, how have I affected others' walk? Have I caused them to have a change of direction? Maybe I wasn't the encouragement that I should have been. Maybe there's something that I didn't say or that I did say or whatever it may be. Or maybe it's just because of my testimony. Is that one verse that we just read? caused me to be a stumbling block for them, somebody that's weak because I'm not doing what I need to be doing because I'm not walking as close as I ought to with God. And I cry, alas, my brother. As we mourn, sometimes we see people, our family, our friends, our nation, our land, our community turning from God and God's righteousness. And we see people going clearly down the wrong path. And we mourn it. But it should be we mourning maybe more so as the old prophet because we might have been the ones that caused that change in direction. If you'll stand with me this evening, I have a word of prayer. <clears throat> Tonight, if you need to come and you need to do business with God, these old altars are open tonight. If you need to you need to come and ask forgiveness, maybe, for your walk with the Lord, or maybe you've been in a position that you're sitting under that old oak tree tonight, and you're getting weary. And it's not that that weariness in itself is a sin, or those desires in yourself are a sin, but you're ready to turn. And you need to come and ask God to give you strength to keep you in the right direction. You come and do business tonight with the Lord as we pray tonight. God, we just thank you for your word tonight, Lord. We thank you for your mercy, Lord, and your, and your, your kindness to us, Lord, and your long-suffering. 
Oh God, as I pray tonight, I just ask that you'll, God, look down upon us, Lord, that you'll help us tonight to not ever have to mourn in the sadness of the old prophet as we read tonight because we caused somebody to change direction. Lord God, help us to come and to live close enough to you, Lord, and to walk in your paths and your righteousness, Lord, in a way that we can edify one another, Lord, that we can uplift each other. Lord God, I pray that you'll help us. God, I pray that you'll be with those that are hurting. God, I pray that you'll be with those that are tired and that are weary. Lord, I pray that you'll reach down and that you'll give them comfort, Lord. <clears throat> Lord, these temptations and these trials, sometimes you put us through to help us to learn to trust you, Lord, or to give us strength. And it's hard sometimes. But God, you have a plan in our lives. And Lord God, I just ask that you'll help us to trust you in it. God, I thank you, Lord, for your word. I thank you for your message tonight. I pray, Lord, that you'll be with us as we go on to our homes. Lord, I pray that you'll be with Pastor tonight. pray that you'll help to heal him up, Lord, that you'll touch his body. With Brother Don, many others, Lord, tonight that are hurting and sick, Lord. God, I pray that you'll be with us, that you'll go with us throughout this week. And bring us again, Lord, into your house again, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.